Mister. Coming at ya. And with that beat, hello and welcome to In Focus. I am Rom Gayoso, your host. So this is our inaugural show and the topic of today, well, you guessed it, it is the future. We are welcoming Dr. Eric Overland, president of the World Future Studies Federation or WFSF, the premier futurist organization in the world. So I've been waiting quite some time to interview Dr. Overland and today is special. For going forward, we'll be working together to disseminate knowledge of future studies. We're both passionate about the future, so this is going to be a very fun talk. Well, uh, let's get going. So uh, before we get started, let's go over the show in focus and why we are here. All righty. So uh, the show is a result of a partnership between WFSF, and yours truly, Futures Television. We're joining forces to advance sharing of information and knowledge of futures topics. Our focus is on future studies, foresight, and futures literacy. So what should you expect? Well, you'll gain direct access to knowledge and information produced by the top minds in this field. WFSF is a UNESCO and United Nations consultative partner and a truly global NGO with members in over 60 countries. So we'll go on a world tour to meet academics, researchers, practitioners, students, and a variety of think tanks and futures-focused institutions. What should you expect to gain from this show? Well, number one, great insight from people whose day job is to move over a great variety of possibilities. And that is important because it will help us better manage uncertainty and to the extent possible, minimize surprises. Two, you get unfiltered access to those thinkers. And three, you'll find out firsthand, the latest advances in the field. So before I welcome our guest, well, don't be shy, you know, the uh, chat windows are open, so uh, feel free to say hi. So uh, let me say a few words about uh, Dr. Irvinet. So uh, Eric is a guest researcher at Institut Futur, uh, in Freie Universität Berlin, uh, Free University of Berlin in Germany, and a policy advisor to the Minister of Education and Research in Norway. He has a background as a guest lecturer at the University of Stavanger on foresight management issues and a keynote speaker on conferences both in Norway and abroad. He is one of the co-founders and co-editor-in-chief of the European Journal of Futures Research, or EJFR. So uh, without further ado, why don't we welcome Dr. Overland? How are you doing today? Hi, Rom. Thank you. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm very happy to be here and uh, very happy about our cooperation. I'm, I mean, it's looking very, very forward to, to this series and uh, very excited about the whole undertaking here. So, yeah, thank you for having me. Well, a lot of people are saying hi to you at uh, Tom Lombardo here in the US, Dr. Klaus uh, Soylen, uh, Chuck Metz, uh, Kai Gorlich in Germany. So, a lot of people are um, saying hi to you. And uh, then I'll say, say a hi back. Hello, everyone. <laughs> thank you so much for, for being here. Well, I hope I did not do too bad of a job at the introduction, but please. If I miss anything truly important, could you say a few words about yourself? Yeah, Rob. Uh, I, I mean, you mentioned already the, the the most interesting thing, also at least regarding uh, at least regarding the futures field. Uh, 
But I, I came into this field for approximately now 25 years ago. Uh, I was uh, appointed uh, as a managing director of a huge government relating foresight program called Norway 2030. Uh, and we created a lot of, had a lot of interested, uh, interesting methodological discussions mm -hmm. and also uh, was able to establish these projects as an international project. So at some point, this project was more known internationally than, than in Norway. Uh, so that's a big, big part of my life and a big part of my, my, my uh, identity. When that is said, I also work for the ministry and, and also very concerned about policy foresight, uh, the relation between government structures and, and long-term thinking uh, as future research and future studies. I could say a lot more about myself, but uh, okay, indirectly we can go back to that. <laughs> That's perfect. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, WFSF. So long-term, Big picture, radical change. That is an ambitious vision, by the way. So uh, what are your thoughts on WFSF? Yeah, WFSF was established back in 1973 in Paris. That means we're going to have a 50 years anniversary next year. Uh, and the, it was established at that time. And I have to say something about that time because... Uh, Back in 1967, it was a conference by some very engaged scholars around the world. We're gathering in, in, in a conference in Oslo, which is called uh, Mankind 2000, uh, in which they tried to address the future in a different way. And they also had some pioneering ideas about system thinking that wasn't necessarily a part of the conventional academic approach at that time. Uh, so they decided to so spend probably two or three years to to be able to establish a formal organization called the WFSF, as the World Future Studies Federation. And if you look at the early days of the federation, you see that they were very engaged in the question about system, uh, about sustainability and climate change and things like that in a very, very early stage. And if you look at one of our pioneer ladies, Eleonora Massini, she uh, was a professor at, uh, Rome, at the university in Rome at that time, and she organized a lot of uh, activism conferences and workshops and so on and so forth, which, by the way, also have contributed to the establishment of the limits of growth and um, and, and study and 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 the activities around uh, new sustainability thinking at that time. So uh, I think that WSF as a kind of uh, uh, organization which was academic oriented in the beginning, in the beginning, but also very oriented toward change. So in many ways. Uh, the long-term, big-picture, radical change uh, reflect the so-called Greek triangle that you reflect on, you discuss, and you want to make some interventions about. You have to, you want to to create futures also. So I think you have all those dimensions within the federation. And since then, uh, I mean, we have members in sixty countries all over the world, and. Uh, contemporary uh, today, the federation is in a very, very, you know, upcoming, uh, a very good phase in, in, in a sense that uh, we have a lot of activities. I go, I won't go into all the kind of activities. We can go um, go back to that later in our talk. But um, for example, accreditation, acknowledgement, uh, stimulation to uh to think long-term future towards political administrative systems and also within corporates and all kind of levels it's very yeah it's a, it's a very manifold and heterogeneous activities covered by the members of the federation yeah actually i wanted to uh, kind of highlight you know uh, folks in uh, today's world we face uh, propaganda wars and i cannot stress enough 
the value of independent organizations such as the uh, WSFF. So independence is mm. important. So you bring a perspective that's independent, so not tainted, you know, one way or another. Now, I wanted to ask you about uh, one of your quotes, and you said, and I will quote, uh, futures reasoning is uh, not about getting it right at the end, but about the courage of being wrong in interesting ways. So could you please uh, explain your thoughts? What were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, that, that's <laughs> actually, that's a quote. Uh, I've translated it as uh, originally um, a thing that we I presented uh, in the book about it, this Norway 2030 project at the time. Uh, and uh, I've I also been quoted a lot of time in the Norwegian context, uh, actually, uh, about that. And the reason why I think that quote is important is that it is a somehow a critical uh, approach to so-called forecasting. I mean, we are doing futures research, for, foresight, and future studies, which is something different than try to make prediction and try to elaborate on the most probable futures. Uh, so, so, so it's 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 that's the reason why it's it's not about getting right at the end. I mean, if you create a lot of scenarios, all these con uh, scenarios cannot happen at the end. So. Uh, so the the main criteria for good foresight exercises is that you have been able to create a lot of fantasy and you have been, you know, put yourself, uh, challenge yourself in the discussions that you uh, actually been able to try to launch some new ideas and new new kind of thinking. I mean, that's a very very tall. Uh, tall order but but it's 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 an ambition so that's the reason why you can't measure future thinking what we are doing with to have been right at the end so but you can point at some very interesting development of course that could contribute to more conscious uh, orientation and that you are conscious about things that going on in the present but uh in 50 years of time or 30 years of time, it's not the point that you should sit down there and say, okay, look what I said in 2000. So now it's almost 2030. So I, 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 I was right. I think that's not the point. Yeah, certainly not. And I guess we can blame Nostradamus for that. People uh, can always say he said this or yes. he said that. Yeah, but yeah, I think uh, uh, And that's uh, several hundred years ago. So, <laughs> so here's it. And then you can say everything, you know, we always be right. Yeah, you always be right if you yeah. say like, you yeah. know, in convoluted ways that uh, people yeah, yeah. don't understand. Oh, no, that's what he meant by this. That's what he meant by that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, changing subjects a little bit. So uh, one of your goals is to uh, promote futures literacy. So why? How can the world at large benefit from more futures thinking? Yeah, I mean... Uh... It, just to say a few things about the term futures literacy, because uh, I think as a future literacy is, is a kind of describes a, a competence that you achieve when you are doing uh, certain things. Uh, so, so, so it's not, uh, in my opinion, future literacy is not a method or not a you know a quick uh, a quick fix solution towards the future, but it's. It's, it's 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 a question about that if you are you know orient yourself using systematically some methods and foresight uh, methodology and processes that you are able to think more consequently and more uh, systematically about the future, uh, which is makes the expectation of the future images uh, more reliable, not reliable, but. Uh, but but it makes it more uh, more interesting and more creative and makes you able to be prepared for future development in the in in a better way. Uh, so I mean, everyone uh, are living uh, existentially in all kind of temporal parts. I mean, dimensions. I mean, every one of you and every one of us has to deal with the future, has to deal with the past and the present. So so. 
every one of us are thinking about the future, but it's a question about to be future literates, uh, like Real Miller is uh, talking about it. You have to make an achievement, so to say. Uh, and and you have to be more, well, you can say more professional about the orientation towards the future. Uh, and and and, but it's also a very very tall order in the sense that, uh, what is it really possible? I mean, if if you look at uh, being literate, if you learn to read and write, for example, uh, before you start the process, you can cannot read and write. And then you're getting from illiterate to literate, and you start. Okay, now I can. I, you know, press the code. I found out about it. I can read. I understand it, uh, and I can also write it. You know, so so then you can show that you write. But can you say that about the future, in the same sense? I'm not sure about that. But you can at least try to. You have to have the ambition of relating to the future in a more systematic and more appropriate way and as just being you know uh, accidentally uh, creating some some ideas about about what you, you have to think more systematically about it and that's i think is a competence that you achieve when you are going into foresight activities and do futures research so I mean, yeah. So, so, so that's the reason why also you need a thorough review and re-review of methods, and you also need some kind of uh, uh, studies to find out does it work or not work. I mean, if it's aimed at uh, at also social change, for example, you 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 really have to think the whole value chain between reflecting and discussing the future to change activities and, and that you actually are able to create something new in your engagement. And all those three dimensions belongs to a kind of future literacy, in my opinion, that you are able to both reflect about the future, to discuss it with others, and also create the kind of change and modify the temp the present in turning to a future that you think it's better than the, the future that you, that or the present that you got today yeah yeah I, I think it's important to kind of stress this point in terms of uh, uh, methodology and robustness so you know we're not just uh, going on a whim here actually you know there's features literacy there's schools of thoughts there's methodology and the more we get familiarized with methodology, you know, I think the you know, more robust uh, our approach will be. So I think that's one of the advantages of uh, WFSF is exactly that, uh, helping us. So the researchers uh, with uh, new ideas and thoughts, new approaches, new methodologies, and all that sharing that takes place either through mm. the journal or the magazine mm. or the conferences. So I, th I think this is uh, one of the beauties of uh, WFSF. Mm. So uh, I wanted to uh, change gears a little bit and talk about the conference, uh, the Berlin conference uh, last year. So uh, you guys chose to put a lot of emphasis on openness. So uh, what is the value of openness and to that matter of inclusion in futures work? Yeah, uh, the reason why we adopted uh, the term openness is that uh, we got the feeling that we are living in a world in which uh, a lot of people that are also politically oriented are very busy about closing down things, and and uh, a lot of you see in social media is an algorithmic stimulating positioning that you position yourself against something others, and and you have you know all those. Uh, issues about the echo chamber is uh, in the social media for example and also in in in, in uh, different uh, in other context uh so we see that that's a danger i mean uh because you need to find ways to go move out of such chambers and you need to move out of uh, if you have a tunnel uh, orientation or lock-in as other term you can use for it so i think uh, 
the methodology within the futures field are helping you to challenge yourself that you're not staying inside such echo chambers and 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 and, and so narrowing minded uh, orientation um so uh the so that's the re reason why we said that this openness of future so if you address the future according to some criteria you are really able to open up things because then you have to say that, i mean the future hasn't happened yet so you should acknowledge the idea that the future have you know eternal possibilities and you should be able to freely uh investigate some of those abilities and that's you know the main point of departure for the conference and we invited if you look at uh, all the topics that we address which was a long long range of different kind of topics so but the, the openness and and the idea of open up things was some kind of uh, a red track through all those topics yeah so uh, it's important to uh note here it's not just uh you know oh we, we're just talking about openness in the conference not really so all the members that i had the opportunity to talk to get the same thoughts and the same perspective i had uh mm. long conversation with stefan bergheim and alicia Baena, and we're talking about well, the importance of inclusiveness you know and so bringing voices that are not heard or they were either written off in purpose or they were you know they're not part of the conversation and they're all emphasizing, you know, why we need to listen to those voices and, and bring them to, to the debate. So that's one of the reasons why I felt so much commonality, you know, in, uh, in amongst all the work we do is because mm. of your focus on openness and inclusiveness, it's, which is something that I really advocate, you know, throughout uh, uh, the work I do. So I said, oh, this is this is beautiful. Because the future cannot be the future for just one. It's the future for all of us. So we have to have all those yeah, voices. I mean, I, I mean, all the possible surprises in your life is lying in this openness to acknowledge and to try to stimulate yourself following uh, the, the idea of an openness in this sense. So uh, now I, I, I also personally, I experienced the same myself. I mean, it, it, because I think... It's, uh, earlier uh, should I do that or do that and do that and then start to study philosophy and all that kind of things and and which really also is a good way to open up things in your mind so to say and and I think uh, uh, the future methodology also helped me personally to open up and to try to think in new terms and uh, not being you know stacked in some but when that is said, I mean, the open to be open is it's a process, and you never achieve a total openness, anyways. But but you can. It's a learning process. It's the, ambi it's the ambition of being open. I mean, that's the most important thing. Yeah. I think so. When we acknowledge that perhaps we're not that much open, yeah, then yeah. we have to work a little bit harder on that. Oh, well, that's a big step, but at least we're working. Yeah, yeah, that. exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so I want to go back to the very beginning and at the introduction, you mentioned Norway 2030. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. So when we think about the future, it's not just some kind of an esoteric perspective. We're not just, you know, you know, tomorrow what's going to happen or years from now, but that it is really used to aid, you know, policymakers in creating and refining their views of the future. And you led uh, Norway 2030, uh, that entire effort. And I'm really curious to hear, so what your biggest challenge really was, and it couldn't possibly <laughs> be easy to have so many different stakeholders and different points of view. So so how did you manage? That's a very, very interesting question, Rob. Uh, but, well, I can try to answer it because... At that time, that was, uh, you know, more than 20 years ago, approximately 20 years ago. Uh, and at that time, you have to also consider the, the Norwegian context, uh, because in Norway, and in particular within the pol uh, political administrative system, uh, you have mainly done futures thinking through social economic modeling exercises in the sense that making forecasts that is the main approach of doing 
future thinking within the political administrative system. Uh, and that was advocated by the Ministry of Finance. And at that time, it was a change in government in Norway, in which uh, it was a new social democratic government uh, with the Prime Minister Robin Jagland, and they want to, to, to somehow um, reform the whole planning institute within the, within the ministerial setting. Uh, and then they, the idea was that uh, the, the to think towards the future, you can't use linear methodology. You can't use only foresight. Now, if I forecast, you have to think in, in other to use other kind of methodology. So, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great and a huge, huge opportunity. Uh, and at that time, I wasn't that familiar with the foresight and future studies tradition either. So... We were a group who was sitting down and trying to find out how should we deal with that uh, challenge because it was a challenge because it was never done in in, in that respect before. So so I was uh, cooperating very closely to uh, a unit called Cellule uh, de Prospective or Forward Studies Unit at the Euro European Union which made scenario methodology in, in different kind of ways. So I adopted and learned a lot from them. And also there was the International Futures Program at the time. We learned a lot from, and I, we were gathering a lot of uh, interesting perspectives on how to do futures at that time and try to, uh, did a quite a good job, I think, to review different uh, approaches. Uh, and when, that was done we had to organize the search process in Norway and and we invited all the ministries and all the ministries accepted uh beside of one ministry and that was the ministry of finance because and then they told well our methods are so good so uh we are doing this scientifically and you are just you know doing doing the, the very um you're just you know different kind of accidental perspective that you are following so we don't want to be a part of it but out of from 18 ministries 70 ministries was a part of this so we organized for over the period of two years um we uh with mainly public servants within the ministries and it was i think at that time this wasn't done by many countries in that uh, in the such comprehensive way and we want to demonstrate scenario methodology uh, between other things as a part of um, policy foresight, uh, policy uh, strategic development exercises. Uh, and the main challenge, I think, was uh, to get uh, acknowledged and to get accepted that we created an arena within the ministerial setting in which you could think relatively freely also regarding to the political program that was you know formulated by the current government uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's the reason why we had very very thorough communication on the highest level also within uh, on, on 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 the secretary of states uh, within the different ministries uh, and also the prime minister was, you know, uh, explicitly behind this. Uh, so that was a very, very interesting exercise in that sense that that it was so anchored so high up on the on the political level. So we had some quite quite interesting discussion among the, um, among the scholars, like among the the public servants at that time. And we also wrote, wrote a book and had a lot of talks all over the place in Norway and abroad and, and everywhere about the project. So so I think that was very successful in a sense, also was benchmarked quite well internationally afterwards. But one big, big issue which I see that is not solved, still not solved, is the relation between these brainstorming exercise that foresight, future studies, uh, in fact, is uh, to how do you come from this heterogeneity of perspectives to a solid and sustainable recommendation towards the 
political um, uh, to avoid political decisions making. Uh, so that's a still a way to go there, in my opinion, uh, because I, 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 as a pelvic servant, I can't come to my minister and said, hey, hey, uh, minister, uh, I got five scenarios here. So please choose one of them. You can't do it like that. So you have to, and that's the reason why we were very, very uh, concerned about to define what, what, what we are doing when in the process. So we defined the scenario, the the loud thinking, the brainstorming exercise, and got, got that accepted as a part of the process. And then we had to go into another mode and the discussion about possible priorities and possible political decisions are very, very different in the logic of the dialogue itself. Uh, so, so, so we were very, very explicit about those differences. And I think that was very useful but it's still a long way and and the whole system uh they they ha didn't have have many experiences about that this kind of work uh this kind of way of working uh so uh but now they do you i i i i sense a big change at the time being in in norway but not only norway but also a lot of other countries at that time so the biggest challenge was actually that to get acknowledged, uh, you know, and get it to the politicians and to get it, yeah. yeah. I'm glad you shared uh, your perspective in, in, in how you got started and the challenges. Uh, so uh, on my own journey, it was uh, somewhat similar, but uh, I was in manufacturing, so in the private sector. Mm -hmm. And my background is in econometrics, so modeling, forecasting. And uh, the most ac accurate models, you know, have statistical variables in there. And I look and I talk to the managers and they said, well, the inverse of the square root of the trend. <laughs> uh, what do you mean by that? And then they realized, well, th mm -hmm. this is the most accurate model, but actually they wanted to see mm -hmm. the models with business variables in there. Oh, the GDP this, consumer confidence that, and blah, blah, blah. And then they asked me, so... Uh, what about you know all the developments or can, can and then I realized I have to build a narrative around that and that mm -hmm. allowed for a whole gamut of different questions and explorations and that was how I got to scenario planning and into foresight. But so I came. Yeah, from, it's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> from the same perspective of now we really have to mm -hmm. do the the statistical models, right? And then they mm. realized, no, 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 they don't want to hear that. No, they don't care about the square root of the inverse of the trend. But if you talk to them in, in business terms and, and build a narrative around it, then we, we can ha really have real discussions. And so the strategy folks really embraced that kind of thought. Said, well, that's what we want. We don't want uh, uh, econometric models. We want business models. Right? But Rom, we did a very uh, tricky and very interesting thing in which we, we in those different narratives, those different scenarios that we developed, we created a person uh, in 2030 which uh, made made uh, scenarios or or we, we said now we no, no, not scenarios but they uh, we made a, a social economist who made made a forecast so in some scenarios he was right and in some other scenarios he was totally wrong so we created a forecast exercise as a part of a scenario so to say so 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 could demonstrate that uh, forecasts are often wrong but they can can also be right you know so so it's not necessarily that uh, it's the best way to do it so so we demonstrated uh, uh forecast activities as part of a scenario in the content and that was yeah so i think the real value is so of course you know you can't be right of the, all the time and you won't be wrong all the time either but i think the important value is the thought process and we start thinking in a more structured way mm. about the future. Mm. So uh, those mm. are possibilities. And when we are aware of possibilities, we actually can manage uncertainty a little bit better, can't we? Yes, I mean, it's all about uncertainties. I mean, uh, the point of departure is that you acknowledge that uh, you have certain uncertainties that you can't avoid you have to be explicit about the uncertainties um you see uh 
uh, if you see the the basic logic uh, between forecasting logic and foresight logic is that you acknowledge the uncertainties and you say uh in in creating the images of the future if you think it's unlikely and uh, it's a bit surprisingly you in the foresight project you are stimulated to go further with it you have to further following those ideas uh although you might in the beginning uh find it very unlikely that that these kind of things gonna happen but in the forecast you uh, forecast uh, methodological approach you want to identify the most likely thing in a very early stage of the of, of the analysis and that's a very very big big difference so to identify interesting uncertainties and be able to uh, deal with them in an appropriate way this, that's the art of foresight and future studies yeah so so we are joined in the call today by some mm -hmm. wonderful futurists and so people like you know Gad Leonhard who is on listening to us yeah yeah so he helps us deal with uncertainty mm -hmm. uh, we and Tom Lombardo helps us mm -hmm. think about using mm -hmm. those sci-fi methods to think about how we're gonna you know envision those futures so we have Kai Gerlich we have several wonderful people here on the call with us who actually are experts at uncertainty management well I I, I know the work of almost every one of those people you mentioned so I I can't agree more well, that's why you're here. I invited you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, let's uh, go back to uh, a little bit of uh, methodology. So one of the reasons why I'm, I bring people is to understand thought processes and the robustness around them. And so the more we, we talk more you know, about te techniques and methodologies, the better we are. So uh, talking a little bit about theory, uh, so in your work, you talk quite a lot about constructivism. So uh, why is that important? So uh, why do you think we should embrace uh, a constructivism approach? Yeah, that's, um, well, the term uh, constructivism, I, I, I've been dealing with since I, I, I read philosophy. Uh, as I have... Um, I've been involved in reading above all transcendental philosophy in, in, in the old German tradition mainly, uh, but also uh, toward the French tradition with, uh, you know, Bruno Latour uh, uh, as, as a very, very stimulating thinker to me. And, and, but also Immanuel Kant in the transcendental philosophy. And, and if you, talk about constructivism i mean it's a lot of ways to talk about this with, but related to the futures field i mean if, if you are engaging in, in foresight activities you are really constructing things because you have to construct things uh if you um when you're talking about situation that hasn't happened yet so so we are constructing future uh, future scenarios of future images and whatever and you construct things then the question is uh in my opinion that you have to uh, advance the idea of constructivism also toward the present and the, and the past uh also uh, and if you do that uh and that's what i think bruno latour uh, is doing and also my interpretation of of the constructivist uh, approach of Immanuel Kant is also similar in the sense that uh, you are creating uh, expectation towards the nature, for example, that the nature is reconstructed and reproduced as something that you are trying to find the truth about. Uh, so you're establishing a subject for your investigation very systematically and you're reproducing that and 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 that's a constructivist activity uh, so when that is said what has that to do with future thinking uh, i think it's as everything to do with future thinking also that's uh, the social constructs of uh, natural phenomena if you can use that term I, uh, that that you are creating and reproducing the expectation of a nature that is giving to you that you want to investigate and want to try to find out the truth about uh, then you also through doing that you reproduce uh, 
an expectation that was a part of your past and present also uh, in which you have an, a systematic expectation that you have actually actually um, research objects that you are researching uh, and that's that the nature and, and and that is also related to expectation in other fields that you actually are expe expected that the future also uh, are that you have a or you perceive a, you have a concept of nature that you are expecting uh, which you have today uh, and 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 that me also means that uh, if you call that the construction it's also a possibility that that expectation of that nature in that similar way is going to fall is going to 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 not be there anymore so and that's it's, it's very tricky philosophical question but i think that you have to be aware of what you are constructing if you see that we need more technology development we need more uh, growth we need more uh, natural science and the physical science and so what so so that might appear for you as a given and not not something that uh, might be uh might vanish in one way or another i think that's that that's that that's that's at least my main learning from my philosophical studies uh time and to see that uh if you treat the roles as a moral entity you see if you uh get blooded you have the dawn on the rose and 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 you start bleeding touching it you won't moralize towards that rose but you take your gloves on your hand to avoid it next time and that's the kind of uh relation between myself and the outer materiality or the roles as a, and treating the roles as 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 a biological or a botanical uh, entity so to say and that's a part of the nature uh, i think that we have to be very very aware of when we are doing future research that these are constructivist ideas that we have to follow and be aware of when we are also constructing the future and one of the beauties is not just the mm -hmm. constructivism. So people understand we're not trying to people sitting in the ivory tower trying to tell you what to do, but rather because of the openness and the inclusiveness, we are co-constructing it together. So we as a community, mm. right? We are working together yep. and we're building our shared future. So it's very different from what people are accustomed to, which is somebody else tells you this is the future, right? This is not what we're doing here. No, no. I mean, it's also if 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 you say uh, I don't know if you know uh, uh, Thomas Kuhn, for example, and say the, the paradigm change and and also the Heisenberg uncertainty theorem, in which uh, one uh, researcher said that uh, the, the materiality is waves, are waves mainly, and the other is a particle. We, they disagree, but they disagree about the same thing because they have constructed an expectation of a nature that are in the bottom line of those discussions. So both are discussing on behalf of an, an, an uh, expectation that the nature is going to be the same, namely uh, a, a subject for our investigations further. And, and to find it as waves or particles or maybe something third dimension, you know. And I think that's very very interesting because then you see that the the, the concept of nature as such like uh, Kant say das Ding an sich is a human construct historically and then then we are talking if we're following that idea yeah that's that's the idea right <laughs> the more we talk about it the, the better we yeah, get the, it right? then we can go into science fiction and the work that Tom Lombardo uh, are doing yeah, you know see and, and how how are we supposed to if you if if we are approaching uh uh appearances that looks like ourselves but it's a machine actually but it looks and it's a robot or avatar or whatever which are very look very very much like yourself 
we have to find ways to be aware that immediately that this is a machine and this is not a human being. And I think that's uh, that's uh, and 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 the one is uh, is is nature or materiality, and the other one is something the same as myself, yeah, of a different essence. Yeah. 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 Okay, so I wanted to uh, talk about one other of your passions. So you are the co-editor of the European Journal of Futures <coughs> Research, right? So uh, what do we learn uh, when we read the journal? Well, the journal, uh, I just have to say something about the background because uh, uh, it was established in 2012, I think. Uh, it was an initiative from Gerhard Hahn at the Free University in Berlin, uh, myself and uh, Reinhold Popp and a couple of others in, in, in Germany. And we and we want to start a journal that also adopted some of the contributions that were within the German speaking area. Because uh, I think if you look at uh, what the Germans said, Zukunftsforschung. Uh, there's a lot of very, very interesting um, uh, contributions, but they are not necessarily communicated because they're written in German language, not necessarily written uh, in English and, and, and communicated in, in the bigger uh, community. Uh, so we want to establish an English-speaking journal based on two, three um, German-speaking, uh, German universities. Uh, so, uh, and, and also the name, I think, is very important to consider because uh, that's reflecting the term Zukunftsforschung. In Germany, you, you put uh, research to the term future, and that's the reason why we call the European Journal of Futures Research and not Future Studies or Future foresight or whatever so because we want to relate it to research activities in particular so there's a lot of uh, contributions I mean, I, mean, I mean the topics you see is uh, if you go into the online page of the journal with an open access journal you see a, a broad range of topics and and, and, and and thematics that are being addressed there uh, and I mean, I uh, yeah, I won't go in details, but uh, there are you know publishing published so more than one hundred twenty articles the last year on lot of different topics. Yes. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the uh, uh, the last one, so uh, the last edition, okay. the last issue. So I uh, kind of like on on that issue, uh, Young Carson's article. So uh, futures literacy in the loop, and he said mm -hmm. the future is open but not empty so what do you think of that yeah uh, you know when you s <laughs> i just tried to find out where he he, he wrote that uh and i reread the article and um i think you know because Yannick carlson also talks about the greek triangle in the sense that you discuss you uh, you reflect on the future, you discuss on the future, and you want to change the future, want to create the future in 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 many ways. So, so if if you look, it's open, but it's always in content. I mean, you can't, you have to concretize all kind of future images have a concrete content in a sense. So it's never easy. And if I'm going to take it a bit longer, uh, if you look at the, the transition between Descartes and Immanuel Kant, for example, if as Descartes said, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. But Kant would say, I think something, therefore I am. He think nature, he think materiality creation, concert. He think always a certain kind of content. Uh, and that's a, that's the reason why I'm a human being because I think about something that's it's not human beings but it's nature it's materiality and so on and so forth. That's a more principal uh, interpretation of that quote. But uh, but as I, far as I can interpret Janari Carlson here is uh, he's saying something similar that you always have to think content when you are thinking futures and also 
also that you are in one way or another embedded in the political and not necessarily in a narrow sense, but but you are in in in, in a mold uh, towards changing things, ambition of changing things, and I think that's an important uh, awareness to have. It is indeed. So I wanted to uh, go back to more of a philosophical question. So we have um, uh, Dr. Solberg here. So future studies uh, can never tell you about the future, which is no big surprise. But <laughs> isn't then the very study uh, study contradiction in science from a methodological perspective? But isn't then the very study contradiction? Well, it depends on uh, as a, because if you have a conventional empirical criteria of what is uh, reality and what is um, what is knowledge, I think then uh, then it might appear as a contradiction in terms uh, because uh, is it possible to do research on things that hasn't happened yet? I mean, that sounds very, very strange. It's esoteric. <laughs> yeah, yes, that sounds very strange. So so it might appear as a contradiction in terms. But on the other side, I mean, even, even natural sciences, they make hypothesis. You always have ideas about the future. So, and, you, uh, and, 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 and even historians have, you know, when they do, for example, contrafactual history analysis, they create quasi-historical scenarios in which they, which has happened. I mean, it's 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 a, it's a construct, but they that they 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 are uh, prognosing it, uh, projecting it into the history, to so try to find out other aspect of that reality that was then, and so you can think also about the present. I mean. Uh, if you create future scenarios, you get new kind of uh, aspects of an awareness of things that also are in your present. So that's the reason why uh, I, and I'm saying, why shouldn't you be have the ambition of being more systematically towards the future image production if you when you are that on to finding out what is now and what have been before? So it's exactly to 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 try to make all those three temporalities on the same level that they need some more rigor, systematic orientations in all those three temporalities. And hopefully, in the process, uh, we learn. We learn from the past. Uh, we learn from the of present. Course. And hopefully, our our future is going to be a little bit better. <laughs> or, or yeah, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> you know, well, we, we're yeah. still uh, mm. we're still struggling again. Um, oh, yes, uh, uh, he mm. actually had an additional comment. So, I mean, uh, it would be like a management discipline that could never tell you uh, how to do management. I don't think so. I don't think you're telling us <laughs> how to do the management, but mm. rather yeah. I think it's a, a systematic approach, a systematic thinking, right, about uh, the future. So yeah, many you need ways some, yeah. Now, I, I really uh, I can't let you go without uh, asking uh, at least this question. So uh, what is the value of uh, WFSF uh, membership? What is it you define? So this is the value of belonging. Yeah, uh, I think the main value, uh, and I also talk about me personally, is that you get into a network of people who are dedicated to a very uncertain field in a sense and they dare to relate to that uncertain field uh, and the, the we got some you know arenas we got some listeners and other uh, arenas in which people the members are raising different kind of uh, discussion points so, so you can engage uh, with very very thorough and very very interesting people uh and and raise questions that you are dealing with in your own research or your own uh working activities and so on and so forth so so it's it's a really unique uh global network of people and very outstanding very in my opinion very interesting people uh with a lot of different backgrounds so so that's that's one thing 
Uh, another thing is that we are now creating some very interesting um, processes. Uh, for example, we have just established a group, a council, who are going to consult authorities and universities in establishing master program or other educational schemes in future studies and future research. Uh, which I think also is very, very important to acknowledge both uh, these activities as such related to research activities. and But not only that, but also the, the, the authority or the um, funding bodies who are supposed to fund these kind of activities, they need some criteria to rely to, to if they should fund it. And I think that in the long term, that could help uh, creating also better funding structure for for these kind of activities. So 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 that's another thing. And and we have these well word conferences, and we have um, <clears throat> a lot of partners that are coming up now. And and I mean it's 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 great if you can just sit down and discuss uh, within a known context with people in China and people in, in South Africa and in, in, in Arizona or, or, or wherever they uh, so, so and, and, you lo- and if you are a member, you learn to know these people also. So I think that's a, that's a good achievement. It's a good, um, that's a good platform. And we are not necessarily using the most... Uh, uh, modern technologies, uh, also due to resources, of course. But um, but we have a uh, listserv, and we had also a journal like um, European Journal of Futures Research. But a lot of other members are engaged in other journals like Futures and uh, International Journal of Future Studies. Uh, so they also very a lot of uh, academic uh, scholar oriented people within the federation and uh, and you meet them there and that's that's part of the fun hearing what they're working that's on and... absolutely absolutely yeah so we have some more thoughts uh, to share so kai uh, from potsdam he's saying it's mm-hmm. uh, when you talk about the future it's more about finding potential solutions to unthought problems than finding uh, the future itself exactly kai as if i should have said it myself <laughs> yeah so uh, and jane actually uh, she has uh, an interesting point so uh, the future studies could be considered an esoteric science studying what does not exist yet right or uh, what cannot be known so are we esoteric scientists uh, i'm very very uh well, I'm not sure if you should use the term esoteric science because, uh, and that's the reason why, what I was oh, oh, by the way, about. we're not opening <laughs> goat's bellies and, and looking at the innards, okay? That's not what we're doing, we're, we're mostly yeah, yeah. vegan, okay? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> oh, how wonderful mm-hmm. this, you know, has been uh, such a, um, a wonderful talk and uh. It seems we have a lot, lot more to talk about, and what we have to save some more for for another day. So, uh, Dr. Overland, thank you so much for your being here with me and the audience today. So I'm, I'm looking forward to working with you, the board, and the WFSF members to advance knowledge of the future. Rome, thank you very much. It's great to be here, and uh, I wish you all the success you can get with the uh, coming programs. Oh, this is uh, this is gonna be uh, fun. So, uh, just before we go uh, here, uh, Dr. Brightone, he would like to know more about this new area. It's a new multidisciplinary area, right? So, actually, there's a lot of uh, examples of uh, future studies curriculums and in the website itself. So, I will point you to the uh, uh, to wfsf.org. Mm. So, Dr. Brighton will be you know more than happy to follow up with you as soon as. Uh, uh, we're done, and Dr. Sorbeck, uh, thank you so much, uh, and all of you guys, uh, for being here with me and Dr. Overland. Uh, today, I guess it's uh, time for me to start to say uh, my thank yous. And, uh, folks, uh, thank you so very much for 
being here with me and Dr. Overland. So this is just the first step. This is the first show. Please stay tuned. This show in focus will be broadcasted via Futures Television, our home of the future on television, coming soon to Roku TV. It is going to be available freely via the Roku stick or on Roku enable TV sets. So please start looking for Futures Television and do add us to your list of uh, preferred channels. Again, thank you so very much uh, for joining us today. And I hope to see you again soon in another episode of In Focus. Uh, you can rest assured we have a lot of great guests ready to share their views with you. And I'm going to leave you with our institutional message. Thank you, Roman. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you.